you're going to have to do your best to take me seriously tonight. I can't help you. You're on your own. You, you should feel what it's like to be on this end of it. That's all I'm saying. The hat might not make it. It's awfully warm with this on. Awfully warm. I did tell him, I said, if you pick out glasses, I can wear them for the reveal, but don't forget I actually wear reading glasses, right, to read. So I'm not going to be able to, you know, put those under. So, so Vanessa said, wear, wear your glasses, right? So not, I'm not cheating. So. so we had a good time today. Caroling and Oyster Point Apartments. How many of you were there? Fantastic. Amanda's doing a great job with that team, and, and uh, it, you realize, too, being there, the difference that it makes by being there on a regular basis. Kids and, are, are moving around with us as a group. You get to certain people's homes, and they recognize, you know, who we are, uh, just the relationship we have with the apartment complex. They had a map, so they knew where the kids lived, which apartments they lived in, so they, which presents needed to go to which homes. They just did an amazing job. It's just not hard to make people smile. It was so fantastic watching people come to the door with a little bit of reluctance, a little bit of hesitancy, you know, just cracking the door a little bit, and then the Christmas carols ringing out. We had right the really good singers up in the front. I was in the back. And so, and so all of a sudden, you would see the door just go from being cracked like this to just being swung wide open, and the biggest smiles would come across people's faces. Kids seeing us off in the distance, looking out through the window, and you know what they're thinking? I hope they're coming to my house. Every single apartment got a knock on the door. It was just the most amazing time that we had together this morning. So we just want to encourage you when there's an opportunity for those types of moments that you're going to step in. I tell you that you walk away with more than what you gave in, in settings like that. And so, and you also miss out on just the moments of spontaneity that can happen, right? So we had a list of some of the songs that we were going to sing together, and, and, but, but sometimes we'd go to a house and someone would just kind of spontaneously launch into a different Christmas song. And so we were working from house to house, and then we got to one, and Vanessa says, hey, I know a song that we could sing. I'm going to get in trouble, but it's going to be worth it. She says, she says I, know, I know a song. I know a song we could sing. And, and somebody said, I wasn't over there. And, and they said, what? And she said, you know the one where mommy saw daddy kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> mommy saw daddy kissing Santa Claus. Right? It's, it's a delayed reaction. <laughs> Mo- right, right. So we all said, I, I don't really remember the song that way growing up. That's not, that's not really how... I remember it. So apparently, Northern New York, we've been married 15 years, didn't know about those traditions in her family. So yeah, so we've got lots to talk about at Christmas with the Wells family this year. So thankfully, we did not sing that song. In particular, Vanessa didn't teach it to us, but uh, it was a... uh, it was a great day. It was a great day. And as you've already figured out that we'd like to laugh together as a church. So it's good for you. Hey, so we're in week three of a series called Ever Grace. We started out three weeks ago and, and we launched out by introducing this idea that Christmas with the theme of Santa Claus is that you get what you deserve, right? We sing that song today. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. And, 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 and based on Santa's approach to Christmas is that you get what you deserve. You, what you've done it dictates what kind of gifts that you're going to get. But we also said, hey, the theme of Christmas with Jesus, it's very different. The theme of Christmas with Jesus is that he gives what no person could ever earn. And that's the Christmas that you and I desperately need to experience. A grace that he gives that has nothing to do with who you are and what you have done. 
And so the text, right, that we've been working out of in this series is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. This is the, okay, the hat's coming off, sorry. All right. All right, here you go. Verse 3. It says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you was going out all over the world. Come on, may it be through this church as well. Going out all over over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard. There's the tagline for the series. From the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The series is called Evergrace because the evergreen tree is an example of constance in the universe, that it does not change based on the environment that it's in, and that's God's grace towards you and I. God's grace towards us doesn't change based on the climate of our character. It does not change based on the temperature of our spiritual passion. God's grace to you and to me is based on who he is and not who we are. And all of us are desperate to experience that kind of grace in our lives. And we're hoping that through this series, maybe for some of you, it will be the first day that you've ever heard of that kind of acceptance. And it's going to transform your life just like it did mine in 1990. From the day you first heard, could it be that we could hope together as a church that somebody's going to wander into one of these services and it's going to be their first day of hearing the good news of God's wonderful grace. So let's just do a a little bit of a recap from the last couple of weeks because we want you to see that all of these explorations into this big idea of grace, they're not disconnected. Each one that we look at has a connection to the other. Grace is a big concept in the Bible. You can't cover that in just one week. We're not even going to be able to cover it in one series. It's a lifetime journey. So we're just diving in and exploring different parts of grace. And so we launched the series intentionally by talking about the garment of grace, which is our life verse that you saw in the video slides, talking about the garment of grace, that that grace is the complete and total acceptance of who we are as we are. And we dug around in the great text where it says that Jesus was on the cross and they were casting lots for his garment and it was seamless. And we began to look into the story of the high priest that he had a seamless garment that he wore. We began to teach a couple of weeks ago that that's a great picture of God's grace that enabled the high priest to go into the presence of God and that same garment of grace is given to you and I. In fact, we would say until you experience the garment of grace being put upon you, that all the other areas of grace that we're going to explore together are going to be an impossibility. All right, so let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. If you've got anybody that's a new follower of Christ, after they dig around in the Gospels in the book of Acts, the book of Colossians is one of the best places that you can send them to, to begin to get some of the foundational beliefs of what we believe as followers of Christ. So here in verse 20, right here, we we see this idea about the garment of grace, this idea of the complete and total acceptance of who we are as we are. And through him, to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
And you, that's you and me, were once alienated and hostile in mind because of our evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Anybody here holy and faultless and blameless, right? Come on, none of us. But God says, hey, in spite of all your deficiencies, in spite of all of your flaws, in spite of all of your mistakes, I accept all of who you are as you are. To have a revelation of that kind of grace, it is as though he clothes us in that revelation and we feel the acceptance from our creator, from our heavenly father, and oh, the freedom and the liberty that it brings to us. For the note takers, there's another one there, Romans 11:6. 6. The Bible's full of verses like this, so that's for you. Come on for a snack later if you're a note taker. And so we're just throwing that out to you. So all right, so here was where, this is where we went last week, right? The, there's a demand of grace. Some of our weightiest moments will be when grace demands that we bear the heaviness of the lives of others. That's so true, right, for the families in Connecticut that other people are going to come alongside those who are grieving and say, let me help you carry that cross. People that are walking in, if you have ever been in a tragedy in your life, you know that you cannot walk down that road by yourself. There are other people that God's going to bring into your life. There's other people that are going to say, I am willing for, the, for grace to have a demand upon me. For, for God to say to, to you and I, I'm going to ask you to do something that's not going to be easy. I'm going to ask you to walk down a road that's not going to be something that you would choose for yourself. But would you go down this road with this person so they don't have to walk down that road by themselves? There's a demand to grace. He invites us into a relationship. We love that part of the story. We love the part of the story of the garment of grace. But once we get into that relationship, we begin to realize there's some heavy lifting that we have to do as followers of Christ. And we looked at the story last weekend of Simon from Cyrene, who God looked at him and said, hey, I want you to help carry the cross of Christ. There was a demand. It says the guards seized him. There's moments in our lives where grace needs to seize us and we need to bear the weight of the burden of the lives of other people because otherwise they might not make it. All right, listen to this verse in Ephesians. See, we like the first part of Ephesians 2.8 because that's the story of the garment of grace. Like this nice sweater that I have on today. Cardigans, they just never went out of style. Mr. Rogers, he just had it going on early in life, early. All right, verse 8. For by grace you were saved through faith, this is not from yourselves. It's, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Right? That's the garment of grace. But th th listen to where verse 10 goes. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus, not for retirement, not for the ease of living, but for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. And I love that analogy of this idea of walking in them. For me, it began to conjure up ideas about where we were just last week about Simon of Cyrene and how it says that he was just in the countryside, right? He was just there. And all of a sudden, in that place of walking, there was a weight that was thrust upon him. 
May it be that God would find us a willing heart to allow the demand of grace to be thrust upon us for the sake of others with whom we walk. All right, so you can catch those on the podcast. Those are the last two weeks that we've been digging around together. So this is to kind of move us into part three tonight. We're going to be talking about what I want to entitle the gift of grace. So we've talked about the garment of grace, the demand of grace. We're going to talk about the gift of grace. The next week we're going to talk about the veil of grace, the veil of grace. But to, to get our minds moving along the right direction, we like to always add a little participation at the City Life Church. So, so for what's, what's the worst commercial for you on television right now I mean the silliest goofiest now be careful right because your worst might be somebody else's favorite so just for the sake of peace right all right so the worst one Amy all right we're just going to go on to Tim right so this is being recorded so we're not going to say what Amy said who's on the governance team just for the record but all right we're going on to Tim going on to Tim Cars.com with the singing head. I, I'm, I'm with you there. Walks into the dealership. The head, I know. It's irritating, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, everybody's resonating with you. Yeah, Bernie. The, the Siri commercials. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Siri commercials, right? I'm with you. Head on, the head on commercials, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony? Lowell the Hammer Stanley. Yeah, those are, those are just obnoxious, aren't they? Wow. Who gave that guy a, a law degree? Yes. It's my money and I need it now. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Somebody else? What about over here in the youth section? Anybody? I know you guys don't watch television, but just the ones that your parents tell you about. Education connection. Yeah, I hear you. I know, I know. Somebody else? Anybody else? A commercial, your worst commercial? Jenna? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. All right, so this is mine. This is mine. I think one of the, the, the worst commercials, right? Because you know I had one, right? I was setting it up, right? Okay. All right. So, so mine, the worst one, is, a, is it's, it's, it's a short commercial. It's, we don't know if he's a professional athlete or a movie star, but he's at a press conference, and he says, right, in this, this goofy French accent, right, I'm not going to be the person you expect me to be anymore, right? Anybody, right, right? And he gets up, and he storms out, and you're thinking, all right, this guy's taking a stand. And then all of a sudden, it comes over, be unexpected. And then it's a commercial for Cologne. Right, so, so Blue de Chanel comes on, right? Well, it should be unexpected that you would spend $110 on a bottle of cologne. Can I just say that, right? I was looking at up this week. I was like, oh, who? it better make you smell good and do your laundry. So, all right, so, so we, we couldn't afford Blue de Chanel. So we got a couple of guys that got engaged this week. One last week, one this week. Come on. We'll, we'll start with Anthony. Anthony got engaged this week. So we got Anthony, the working man's Blue de Chanel. It's aqua velva ice blue, and they spell blue the right way, B-L-U-E, not B-L-E-U. So that's for Anthony, so you can smell good. Where, where's Nathaniel? Is Nathaniel? Nice. And Nathaniel Miller, engaged to Shani, some aqua velva ice blue there. All right. They're going to smell great next week. And next week, you can walk up to them and go, wow, you guys smell fantastic. They're aqua velva men. <clears throat> Aqua Velva. All right. Worst commercials. One thing that I like about commercials is that it reminds us something about life. The reason why they, they, they have commercials, right, is they're trying to promote something. 
The, the reason why they have commercials is, is because they're trying to get you to make a decision, to spend your money. They're trying to create a feeling in you, right? I was an economics major, and one of the things that they begin to teach you is that wants satisfy needs, and so they, they want to make you feel like you need something because they know then there's going to be a want that's born out of that, and then you're going to go out and spend your money. And it causes me to ask the question sometimes, what's, what's the advertisement of my life? Through the values that I have, through the way that I respond to people, through the way that other people observe me with my wife and with my children, how I lead as a pastor, in this church, the way that I conduct myself every day of my life is an advertisement. What's your life advertising? What's the promotion that's being born out of the words that you speak? And may it be that as we work through this series together as a church family, that, that we're not going to be the worst commercial. Are you with me? Right? We're not going to be the Lowell the Hammer Stanley obnoxious person around other people that creates thoughts and feelings in them that then God's got to deal with later in their life. Come on, could it be that we could be the kind of people that believe that when the garment of grace begins to put on, be put on us, like we said in that very first week, the garment of grace is not to hide all of the change that's never going to come. The garment of grace is to clothe us in great power so that we might become the people that we would otherwise never be. Could it be that the grace that God extends to us begins to change us in such a way that our life becomes an advertisement, a living commercial for what we're calling tonight the gift of grace that you and I are supposed to give to the world? So let me give you this definition tonight. I'm going to teach a little bit tonight. This definition, it comes from Vine's Expository Dictionary, a favorite resource of mine. This is how it defines grace. A friendly attitude towards another person that leads to an act of kindness, benefiting that same person who deserved punishment. Now, I've underlined three parts of this definition because each part of this definition needs to be fulfilled before what you have done, before the gift that you have given qualifies to be a gift of grace. If you just do any parts of these, maybe you've given a gift to a person, maybe you have, have, have been kind to a person, but to rise to the biblical standard of grace, the gift of grace, you've got to do all three. And we understand the distinction there because we've all been in a place where we've said, all right, I'm going to try to be nice to that person, but I'm not giving them jack, right? right? So we've all been in a place like that. Or, or we'll say, or we'll say oh, I'm going to give them, I'm going to, I'm going to help them, but they're going to know I don't like them right? None of that's grace. And, and it has to be a person who deserved punishment. That's a powerful part of this definition. It has to be that the person has offended you and has crossed the line of egregiousness to the point that they really deserve some type of accountability and punishment being brought upon their life. Grace isn't for little infractions. Grace isn't for small things. Grace is for big things. And there are times in our life where God looks at you and me and he says, hey, I want you to be the person that begins to introduce this person to the idea of unmerited favor. I want to use your life to be the person that begins to be a commercial to that individual about what it means to give somebody something that they don't deserve. It begins to change the way that you view some of the hard places that you've been in your life. It begins to change the way that you view some of the hard people that God has put 
into your life. It begins to change the way that you view some of the situations and the circumstances where you've been emotionally devastated because of what that person did or did not do. Could it, could it, could it be, could it be that God says, hey, I know you would have preferred that to have happened to somebody else, but I'd let it happen to you because I want you to be a person that shows them something that no one else has ever showed them, this idea of unmerited favor. Will, will you, he says to us, let me begin to change your heart, not just so you tolerate the person, not just so that you endure the person, but that you really let an attitude, a friendly disposition, an emotion get birthed inside of you of affection towards a person that doesn't deserve it. And in that place of emotion, would you do something? Would you extend to them some act of kindness, which could be not doing something or it could be doing something. It could be tangible or not tangible, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, when it's a person who really deserved punishment for what they did. All right, so, so several months ago, we found a note on our, on our trailblazer, and it said, uh, hey, here's my phone number. I witnessed someone hit your car in the parking lot today. So I picked up the phone and called, and so this person says, you're, you're not going to, I was in the parking lot. It was at the food line up there off of, off of uh, Oyster Point. And uh, uh, they said, we were, we were there in the parking lot getting into our car, and we, and we saw this woman pull in. She was, she was an elderly lady, and, and this, in the space that she wanted to get into, there was a, 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 a grocery cart there. So she stopped and paused for a moment, and we thought she was going to go to some other space or get out and move the cart, but instead she gunned it, right? Right? <laughs> Because she's, she's thinking, right, I'm just, I can just get this thing out of the way, right? So she just guns it. She, she smashes into this grocery cart, and then it becomes a projectile, right, in the parking lot and just comes flying in and smashes into the, into the rear of, of, our, of our trailblazer. And so the person's telling us the story, and they, were, and they begin to laugh a little bit. And they said, I'm not trying to laugh, but they were just saying, if you could have been there, you know, just to see what happened. We were just shocked. And then they said, so then we were certain, certain that she was going to get out of her car, right, and leave a note or, 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 or something. But she just got out of her car and just walked right on into the store, got her grocery cart and began to, to shop. And so I said, hey, thanks for, for letting us know. So I called, the, got the license plate number, the description of the car. So we called the, the police and gave them the license number. And, and, and uh, so they said, okay, well, well, we'll be in touch. So a few days later, I got a call from a woman who, who just a nice lady says, I just, I want to start out by just, I'm so sorry about what happened to your car. That was my mother who, uh, who, 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 who had the incident with your vehicle in the parking lot. And, and they said, the, the, the grocery store is the only place that we let her drive anymore, right? <laughs> this is it. This is the only thing that she is allowed to do right? She's in her 80s, and they said, you know, we've just tried to, to ratchet back her driving, and so we live right around the corner. The only thing she has to do is pull out and, and kind of cruise over to the parking lot and get in and get out, and she comes home, and she's been doing a great job without incident until recently, apparently. So, so she's telling me this story, and she says, you know, we're, we're going to do whatever needs to be done. You just, you tell us what body shop you're going to take your, because there was a dent, you know, the back of the car. You take it to a body shop. We'll have our insurance company send the adjuster, and we're going to take care of everything. And I thought, you know, it, you know, it was just, it was refreshing, right, to talk to somebody who was, so, so we hang up the phone, and, and then all of a sudden, I just, I just feel like God whispers to me and says, what if that was your mother? What if that was your mom? What, what, what would you want that person to do? So I do what I often do in moments like that. I go, ah, la, 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 you know, right? I don't want it, right? <laughs> same thing you do, right? You're laughing, but you know you do the same thing. 
So I, I told Vanessa about it, and I said, hey, I think, I think we should just call her back and just tell her not to worry about it. Right? We'll just add it to the other 50 dents that are already in the car. Right? It, it's not like what God's asking us to do is that huge anyways, but, but maybe it's going to be huge to them. So the next day, I call back and say, hey, you know, I talked to my wife. We just decided we just, we don't want to, we're just not going to worry about it. We're not going to worry about it. There's this long pause on the end of the phone, and she's like, what? 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 So we just, we just decided we just, it's, it's all right. It's, it's no big. And I began to tell her the story. I got off the phone, and I began to pray, and just really felt like God spoke to me. What if that was my mother? And so, and, and so you know, she's going on and on and on and on and on. So she's like, that's amazing. And then she's, we get into a conversation, what do you do? And I talk to her about the church. And I get an opportunity to share a little bit about my story, a little bit of my journey of having made a decision for Christ. And we get to share the gospel with this woman right here. Right? It's not about the car anymore. You with me? Right? So, so there's times in our life where, where, where God says, hey, who, whose car can I hit so, 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 so this person could, could, could maybe ta- just taste? Now, that's not a, we're, not, we're not looking for any awards here, right? It's, it was a grocery cart in a car, right? But, but could it be? Could it be? But in moments like that, even when they're small or when they're a lot bigger, God says, who can I pick? that could introduce this person to maybe to this concept that no one in their whole life has ever introduced them to before. This idea of unmerited favor. Could it be that our lives as a church, as a spiritual family, begin to be a commercial, an advertisement that's turned loose into the world where we get to be the person that says, I'm not going to be who you expect me to be anymore, right? that in an unexpected way, you get to be a person who gives the world the gift of grace. It's interesting to me that here in John chapter 3, arguably maybe the most popular verse in the Bible, right? You see all three are present right here. For God so loved. Aren't you glad that it doesn't say, and God so endured the world? Aren't you glad that it doesn't say, God so tolerates the world. Aren't you glad that it doesn't say that, that God, he puts up with the world, right? Because the people that are closest to you, the person you're married to, the children that you've brought into this world, at the end of the day, they know sometimes that you have to love them, but they want to know that you like them too. You, you with me? You ever had a spouse? You ever said that to you? They've said that? To, you've had that exchange? I know that you have to, I need to know that you like me. Talk to me tomorrow, we say, right? There's something about when we've been bad, when we un, are undeserving, that the person across from us still has in their heart a feeling of affection for us. Oh, it's the beginning of grace. For God loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave. So this feeling in God prompts him to do something, to give. A gift is given. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish because we deserve something far worse. It's the definition of grace right here in John 3. If you, it's okay to write in your Bible. You, you're allowed to do that, right? You can write in that grace right next to it. All three parts. 
all three parts fulfilled. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know this movie, it's coming out again. I hope you go see it this December. It's a powerful film. It's a powerful movie. It's a powerful story. And in this, I don't know if this scene's going to be in the new one, but the one that came out years ago with, with, with Liam Neeson in it, we're going to show this little three-minute clip tonight that, that I believe that in, in cinema, in film, that you're going to be hard-pressed to find a scene, to find a, a setting that does as good a job as this film does to communicate to you and to me the gift of grace that God is asking us to give to the world. Let's watch together. Anybody there? So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> That you gave it to him? Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, 
and bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Powerful, isn't it? The movie Les Mis. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You, you, you and I are the Jean Valjean, the, the, the famous character in this, this great play, this, this great work. And God's the one who's purchased us this idea that, that once we've been purchased by Christ, he invites us in to begin to do the work of the priest. It's powerful, isn't it? We, we like the idea of being Jean Valjean. We, we like the idea of being the one who's given grace. We like the idea of being the one who's caught in our mistakes and someone else doesn't just let us go, but they lavish us with gifts along the way. But the only way that gift is going to continue to be given into the world, the only way that that gift is going to continue to be unleashed into the world, if you're willing, now that you have received such a gift from God himself, that now you will be that giver of that great gift to mankind. That you would be the one standing in the garden, with the hoe in your hand, angry that you've been betrayed by a friend, wondering what it's going to be like to now eat with wooden spoons. Come on, you with me? And in that moment, you hear a whisper. Would you, would, would, would you be willing to give the gift of grace? I want to give you these five tonight because we don't just want to inspire you to be a giver of grace, but, but we want you to be able to step into moments like this and have some sense of how we should do it. Now, we're not going to work through all of these verses. We'll get the notes online, or if you're a note taker, you can have them there. If you're an overachiever, you can begin to read ahead. We know who you are, right? Come on. All right, so, so let me give you this first one, this idea of it's all about what they need. See, this is where the conversation has to start. This, this is where the conversation has to start between you and the Father. That in a moment where someone has done something to you that deserves punishment, in the moment where someone has done something to you, you've got to begin a conversation with God that says, God, I need you to let me know what this person needs. Because it might be, as we understand, it might be the, the kind of grace that we're talking about tonight is the last thing that they need. It might be that they've already been given grace multiple times, and now it's time for accountability and punishment to really be brought to them because that's only what's going to redeem him. It's like the parable of the prodigal son. The father doesn't go out to look for him because he knows he needs to have a desperation revelation before his life can be transformed. So there is a conversation we begin to have with God. Say, God, is this a time for accountability or is it a time for me to step in and give them this great gift of grace? And here in Philippians 2, it talks about thinking of others as more highly than yourself. Don't just think about yourself, but follow the example of Christ. And so Paul is saying here, sometimes in this world, we find ourselves in situations where we need to ask the question, what is the need of the person? And then that need that they have begins to motivate our response to them. The second one is this, you have to resist provocation. Matthew 5, 38 through 39 is the famous, famous verse that talks about turning the other cheek. 
We don't like that, right? Because we know what happens when you turn the other cheek. You're just going to get hit on the other one. We, we understand what's coming. Now, now, this verse isn't about pacifism. This, this verse isn't about letting other people victimize you. This verse isn't about you being in relationships where you're just a doormat. This, this verse is about not letting that other person control your reaction. This verse is about not letting this other person control your emotions. This verse is about not letting other people bait you and draw you in. This verse is about not letting the person pull you away from the Philippians 2, 4 through 5 conversation that you're having with God. While you're taking it on the chin, instead of just reacting to their provocation, we're supposed to be having a conversation with God that says, what do they need? It's the question that Jesus asked. And aren't we glad that he came to the conclusion that he did? Number three, negotiable rights. Let me just say, too, your right for personal safety is never negotiable. If you're in an abusive situation, if someone's abusing you physically or sexually, the gift of grace is not the gift that you should be giving to them. You need to be giving yourself the gift of your own personal safety. That's never a right that you should negotiate. But there are rights that you and I have that we should be willing to negotiate. And in Acts 13, 13 through 14, we have this story where Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. He's with Barnabas and some other people, and a young man by the name of John Mark is with them. And as they're on their journey, it's just a little mention that Luke gives us in the book of Acts that says, and, and John Mark left. It doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell us the circumstance of why. He, it just says that he departed. And if in Acts chapter 15, more information had not been given to us, we would have just assumed that he was at the end of fulfilling his responsibility. But then you get to Acts 15, and we find that Paul and Barnabas want to go back out on their second missionary journey. They're coming up with who they're going to take with them and the team that they're going to put together. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, over my dead body, because that guy, that mama's boy, he left us and didn't fulfill his commitment. It doesn't say it just like that, but that's what it means as you read it in the story. And it says that these two men who had such a friendship, they drew such a moment of disagreement with each other that they parted ways. Right there. Don't you love how the Bible even tells some of the bad stories of the good people, right? It gives hope for all of us. So Paul picks Silas. That's how his partnership with Silas began. And Barnabas picks John Mark, and they go their separate ways. You know who John Mark is, right? He's the person that God chose to give us one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What if Paul's tree? I think this story is given to us because God wants us to see that Paul made a mistake there. I think it's given to us because he wanted us to see that, that Paul did not do a good job of the first two here. That, that Paul's response to John Mark was based on his actions and he didn't take time to find out what this young man really needed. He reacted to the provocation of John Mark's inadequacy and he casts him aside. But I think Barnabas, he was doing the other. And I think God whispers to Barnabas and says, I have plans for this young man. Will you give him grace? And he goes on to make history. 
How many times are there people in our lives, young people in our lives, who make mistakes? As parents, our kids make mistakes. And maybe because we've not really stopped to think about what our kids need from us in that moment. Maybe because we're provoked, we're frustrated, that we lash out in anger. And little do we know, come on, that there is a destiny that's trying to be born in this child's life. And God's saying, hey, this isn't why I put you there to tear them down. I put you there to build them up. Not that there's not moments of accountability. Not that there's not moments where there should be consequences. But even in those moments, they should feel the love that we have in our heart towards them. Every act of consequence should always be redemptive in nature. nature. You've got to be willing to negotiate your rights. Paul had every right to say he's disqualified himself. Paul had every right to say, I'm not taking that snotty-nosed kid with me. He's just going to abandon it. He had every right to say, not this time. But that's part of the gift of grace. You've got to be willing to lay down your rights for another. Number four, the words you speak matter. If the only two verses you had to live by were John 3.16 and Ephesians 4.29, you could change the world. You could change the world. Because John 3.16 talks about the garment of grace that you've been given in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's edifying and for the building up of others. What if we lived the rest of our lives that way? We would change the world. We would change the world. That every word that you speak, every word that I speak, every emotion that flows from us passes through the filter. Is this going to build up the person across from me? God says, that's what I've called you to. That's the life that I'm asking you to live. The words that we say and the way that we say them in the moment of giving grace matters. And the last one is this. It's about your feelings. Because see, your feelings, they matter to God. God understands when you've been betrayed. God understands when someone has mistreated you. God understands that in those moments there is a flood of emotions. God doesn't look at us and say, hey, get over it. Right? He doesn't treat us that way. He doesn't look at us and, and, and say, well, if you were a better person, you wouldn't be wrestling with those feelings. He understands that in moments of betrayal, that those are hard for us, that those feelings that we have stirring inside of us, and we talk about this often at the church because we don't want to be a, a church that makes try to make people think that you've got to live in denial with the pain that you're carrying because of the betrayal that you've suffered. So, so we have these psalms, like Psalm 109. I'm not going to take time to You should read it. It's a horrible song. It's horrible. It's David calling down curses on people and their children for generations to come. They're called, they're called prayers of imprecation. There's one where, where David prays that, the, that their teeth would get knocked out. There's one that he prays that they would get buried alive. Oh, yeah, don't pretend like you've never prayed that prayer over somebody. Right? Don't pretend that you've never had a, a, a smile that comes across your face at the thought of something terrible happening to someone. That you, Oh, come on, we've all been there. We've all been there. Sometimes we've been there a lot. And God says to you and to me, hey, I know that you've got those feelings. I'm not asking you to bottle those feelings up. I'm not asking you to pretend like you don't have those feelings. You bring those feelings to me. You, you give them to me so that you don't give them to the world. You give them to me so that I can give to you in turn what you need to turn around and give grace. Or to turn around and bring accountability to somebody, but in a way that's loving and caring. You take these feelings that you have, you talk with them about me, you talk with them with a trusted friend. All of us have times in our lives where we need to vent. We've got to have people that we can trust that 
we can get alone with and just put it out there. If you've ever done that, you know you just feel better, don't you? Right? It's just an emotional vomit. If we bottle it up inside, we end up putting it on the person who was supposed to receive from us the gift of grace. This is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible right here. This is for Nathaniel and, and Anthony tonight. Come on. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I, I like this verse in talking about grace because, you know, being a pastor, you're on an airplane or wherever you are, people get, like to ask you these crazy questions, right? And the, so the one that I get often is, you know, so, so you're a pastor, huh? Hey, so if God can do anything, right, can he make a rock so big that he can't pick it up, right? Yeah, crazy, right? Those are the questions that people wrestle with, right? But I don't think that's really a hard question because the answer to that's no. Because they're working off of the assumption that, that God can do anything. But there's a lot that God can't do. He can't lie to you. There's a whole lot that He can't do that you and I are awfully glad that He can't do. He can never break His promise to you. He can't do that. See, perfection has limits, but it's the kind of limits that we need perfection to have. Divinity has boundaries, but it's the kind of boundaries that we need Him to have. He can never not be there. There can never be a place that you would go and find that he's not there waiting for you. Oh, there's a lot that he can't do. And when we begin to think of that list, something good begins to well up inside of us that just makes us feel safe. Even in the darkest moments, even in the most terrible tragedies, the goodness of God is a light that will always prevail. Darkness will never overcome light. Oh, there's so much that he cannot do. And part of this world that he created, he created you and I with needs that he's chosen by his divinity through his sovereignty to say, I can't meet that need in you because I've made you so that you're going to be dependent upon other people. He made us with a sexuality. He, he made us with romantic needs. He, he gave us the capacity for romantic relationships. And God says, right, to you and me, I'm not really having anything to do with that. I gave that to you, but you're going to have to find other people to meet those needs in your life. I'm going to lead you to those people. I'm going to direct you to those people. I've got someone just right for you. Matthew 6, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. He says to you and he says to me, hey, there's certain needs in this world that I unleashed, that I set into motion, and you know what? You're going to have to look to each other. It's powerful, isn't it, that he created us to be dependent upon the people around us because he knows in those moments we discover the richness of relationship that's one of the great treasures of this world and of this life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. When you took your first breath, God put inside of you a reservoir, a reservoir of grace. He put a capacity in you. In spite of all of our flaws, in spite of all of our weakness, in spite of all of our inadequacies, He created us with this reservoir of grace. 
And you decide the flow that's going to come from your life. What's the commercial of your life going to be? What are you going to promote? And may it be that all of us would find the courage to say, I want that reservoir to just keep getting emptied out over and over and over and over again because the world is desperately thirsty for unmerited favor. And there's times in my life and in times in your life where God puts those people right in front of us, even though we wish he'd put them in front of the person sitting next to us tonight, he puts them in front of us. Because you have a reservoir. You have the ability. You have the capacity. Listen to this. To give them something that God himself will not give. You have the ability to give a gift to people that God himself, the perfect creator of the universe, says, I'm not going to give that to them. I'm asking you to do it. And if you don't, God says, hey, there's a grace that I can give that they, they desperately need. That's why we started this way. But he says, hey, if you don't give him that grace, then they're just going to stay thirsty. Would you not be the person that gives this gift, the grace that can only move from person to person? Will the people in our lives be left thirsty for that? And the only way that you and I are ever going to be able to give that kind of grace is if we allow the garment of grace to come upon us. If we allow the demand of grace to rest upon us, then we can give the gift of grace to the world. The people within our reach are desperately thirsty for grace that only we can give. What will you do? Will you give them something to drink? Will you be a reservoir of grace? Stand with me. Fill our cup, Lord. Fill our cup. To overflowing with a grace that we would walk out of these doors tonight ready and willing to begin a conversation with you. What does that person need from me? And if it be, Lord, that you would whisper to us that we would be the source of the gift of grace, that we would just Come on, not give it a trickle, but come on, that they would just be washed away by the unmerited favor that would flow from our lives. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.